Welcome. This is Talking QBs with Coach Geese, a podcast dedicated to the Canadian quarterback and offensive football. And tonight, on my 48th episode, I have three local football coaches who are great football coaches, but also better friends of mine. Co-offense coordinator from the Oak Park Raiders varsity team, Mr. Eric Ewan. Head coach for the Vincent Massey JV team, Mr. Chris Johnston. And head coach for the Eastside Eagles major team, Mr. Stephen Hirsch. How's it going, gentlemen? Good, good. Doing very well. Can't wait. You know, thanks again for being on here, guys. It was an impromptu uh, decision to kind of talk about some college football playoffs with the games coming up this weekend. I was like uh, chatting with chatting with the boys. But uh, just for the audience sake, guys, let's uh, we'll just kind of go one by one here. Just a little quick intro, who you are, where you coach, uh, how long you've been coaching, that sort of thing. Uh, Stefan, I'll start with you. I'm Stefan Hirsch. I'm the head coach of the Eastside Eagles Majors program. And uh, I've been there now two years. Prior to that, coached kind of all over the city, all different age groups, U16, head coach this past summer, which you guys were involved with and went to BC, also as defense coordinator of the Winnipeg Wolfpack. Excellent. Chris Johnson? I've been involved in the the Manitoba football community since about 1996. I played for the St. James Rods uh, before moving on to play for the Winnipeg Rifles and the Canadian Junior Football League. When I was done playing, I got into coaching with the uh, Charleswood Broncos and uh, coached there for a couple seasons before moving on to uh, coach high school football at the Oak Park Raiders program. Then a few years later, I moved over to Churchill High School, coached there for a couple years, and then moved over to Vincent Massey Collegiate to help with the startup on that program. And I've been there um, uh, basically on and off since its inception. So, you know, call it uh, about 14 years. So I spent the last 23 years coaching in the community. And um, I mean, I honestly just love giving back to the community and, and working with young athletes and trying to help them, you know, enjoy the high school football experience. And Coach Ewan. I've been coaching about about 14 years now, off and on between two programs. First of all, started at Oak Park for a couple of years and then went to Massey for a bunch. And then uh, I'm back uh, coaching at uh, Oak Park with their varsity program as their RP coach and their co-offensive coordinator. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a blast so far. So guys, let's uh, let's get into our, our seasons this past year in 2022. So obviously, Eric and myself worked together at Oak Park. So Eric, I'll start with you, but why don't you start with a little quick rundown on our season and uh, t- talk a little bit about our quarterback, Ryan Wurtzfeld. Uh, our season, you know, we, we got off to a, a really good start against Steinbach, and then, you know, we lost our la- our next four games after that, and we were kind of tough spot. We were one and four, and we needed to win three games to get into the playoffs, into the top four, and we ended up putting it together and getting onto a roll. And I, I would say most of that, was contributed by our quarterback, Ryan Wurtzfeld, a guy that's, you know, uber talented, a young guy, but uh, a guy that uh, is developing into being one of the better quarterbacks in our league, a guy that still needs a lot of work, still learning to play the quarterback position, but uh, a guy that uh, is starting to, starting to put things together. And uh, really, as we went on towards the end of the season there, and, you know, we lost in the semis to St. Paul's, you can really see the growth in his development and a guy that, you know, in grade 10, young leader, a guy that has so much potential and, and can't wait to see what he does over those next two years here. Absolutely. He did a lot of great things. And you're right. The progression was was steady throughout the year. 
had we definitely had our ups and downs uh, going through that that losing streak there but uh he stayed strong and and you know he had uh, good moments and bad moments and worked through them but uh yeah i'm excited for the both of us to just continue working with him chris johnson let's talk a little bit about your uh your team in in 2022 uh your vincent massey jv squad and and talk about your quarterback yeah so 2022 was uh was an excellent year for our jv program we had a great group of young athletes we were a very athletic football team we didn't have overall a tremendous amount of football experience we had a lot of multi-sport athletes that were playing football for the first time and you know so from a coaching perspective that's always a huge challenge to to work with those guys and to you know teach them the game for the first time kind of help them fall in love with the game of football um and show them what it's all about and what we saw uh, a huge uh, increase in our, our understanding of the game and our the techniques of the players throughout the course of the year and we just got better as a team as the weeks went on as far as our uh, our more experienced football players were concerned um, you referenced Karst Gruner our quarterback he was a uh, um, a multi-sport athlete that had joined our team the year prior as a grade nine and he had worked with our program as the backup quarterback and had played a little bit of receiver played a little bit of defensive back just kind of moved around wherever we needed him it was really really obvious from a coaching standpoint that he was a very competitive young man and a very smart athlete um, so this year he returned um, as a grade 10 quarterback and was pretty much the incumbent starting quarterback from the get go he had a fantastic grasp of the offense um just a very smart very competitive kid holds his teammates accountable for knowing their assignments is you know kind of that coach in the huddle letting guys know what to do if they have questions or if they're confused on something um just a real field general out there directing traffic and making sure that the offense runs smoothly without uh, any kind of hiccups and and he was fantastic i mean he he played very well realistically in every game you know that we played in all year and got better as the season went on in fact in in one of our games he actually uh he actually threw a perfect game he went a perfect seven for seven for a 100 percent completion percentage throwing multiple touchdowns and and running another one in on the ground uh against steinbach kind of at the midway point of the season so he's uh, he's a fantastic young man and i'm honestly really excited to see what he can do for the varsity team in the future i think with the level of intelligence and work ethic that he has, um, he's got honestly a very high ceiling as far as what he can achieve. Excellent. That's great to hear. I got to work a little bit with Cars at the provincial team. He was out for a few workouts and it was good to see him out there. But um, yeah, moving forward for, for your 2023 season, what, uh, what are you looking forward to, Coach Johnson? Coaching JV football is pretty exciting from the perspective that we have uh, quite a high rate of turnover each season. In our case, the majority of our athletes at Vincent Massey at the JV level are typically in grade 10. Our grade 9 athletes are only French immersion kids, and we have a smaller French immersion group in the school. So we usually only average somewhere between two and maybe seven or eight returning players in any given year. Um, in the case of 2023, we had five kids coming back, some really good athletes 
athletes, a um, couple linemen, a, a really good defensive end, a really good receiver running back. So we're really excited about those athletes and uh, excited to see what they can do. But uh, honestly, uh, the most exciting part is the unknown, the prospect of having a whole group of new kids join our football family from our feeder schools. We're really lucky that the Fort Gary Lions program is a really strong, stable football program in the Fort Gary community. They have done a fantastic job for a really long time, especially in recent years of producing some great minor football teams. Um, their peewee team went all the way to the championship and won last year. Their bantam team went all the way to the championship as well. They are uh, a great club football program, and the majority of our experienced football athletes come out of that program. And, um, you know, we're really honestly lucky to, you know, to have um, – what we hope to be a fantastic group of young grade nine and 10 athletes joining our junior varsity team in 2023. And I think that's a really good point. Just kind of a talking point that, that maybe most people don't think about is that at the JV level, your, your whole roster pretty much gets turned over from year to year. You may have a few kids left over from the, you know, the year before, but, uh, but you know, you're, you're really dealing with a new crop of athletes completely every year, which, you know, is a challenge in itself, but also to speak about the Fort Gary Lions having a lot of success, a couple of young players that were out at uh, big air this past winter training with us were on those, uh, on those Fort Gary teams. And, and you're right. There's a lot of talent coming your way. So pretty cool. And uh, yeah, should have a bright future that way. Coach Hirsch, let's talk a little bit about your season with the Eastside Eagles majors team. It was a fantastic season, I'm completely on the different end of the spectrum to you guys, right? Like, so Chris is uh, at JV and you guys are working with the varsity and I'm working with uh, the majors group, which is 18 to 23. So probably have the, the luxury of, of how, having and holding guys for, you know, number of years and, and get to work with them on the, the tail end of the, the uh, development spectrum, right? And, and right. so... Very, very interesting comparison compared to you guys. And um, as far as our season goes, it, it uh, finished the way everybody wants it to finish. We uh, got to hold, host uh, a championship trophy in the air, and and uh, but it uh, came with a lot of challenges. I spoke on your podcast last year about uh, you know making it to a championship with a really, really young team, and we were really trying to learn how to com- to compete last year. And and I think this year the it was learning how to win and putting it all together and taking the, the game to other teams. And and that was our, our cross to bear this year. And, and uh, we answered it all in, in big fashion with our best game at the end of the year. And you had a pretty talented quarterback. Can you talk a little bit about Carter Kutzen, your QB? We actually uh, had a couple very talented quarterbacks this year. Carter kind of leads the way in that quarterback room. Um, he uh, was the reigning MVP of the, the league coming back and and he had some challenges this year as far as um, taking that next step as far as leadership and things like that. So it's really, really excited uh, for him physically, somebody that can make all the throws and, and, and do all the things. And he's always been that, you know, uber athlete, if you will, who, who um, takes the challenge on himself. And I think uh, for him, uh, the leadership aspect and, and um, as well as, um becoming a distributor right and and getting more people involved and getting them the ball in space Mm -hmm. uh is is the areas that that he's working on and and he's i'm really excited with the step he took but we also had danny harris uh, who played some quarterback for us 23 year old final year extremely talented young man lightning in a bottle and and uh he kind of gave us some 
different different looks and having both of them in the backfield was was pretty pretty awesome to play with and uh and we had a young man that that you're familiar with connor majum uh who is uh, a young man learning how to lead men, right? He came in, he was 17 when he started the year and and uh, we were fortunate to get him a bunch of time as well, um, you know, kind of throughout the season and and he just grew by leaps and bounds. So a lot of really, really positives in our QB room. Back at it with second quarter action with Coach Gies, Coach Eric Ewan, Coach Chris Johnston and Coach Stefan Hirsch. So, gentlemen, at Oak Park this year, we were in the AAA division. We had six teams. It was us, Vincent Massey, St. Paul's, Dakota, Grant Park, and Steinbach. Just interested, Coach Ewan, Coach Johnston, you guys both coach in the WHSFL. Obviously, Coach Ewan at Oak Park uh, in AAA with me. Coach Johnston, you were coaching JV, but you were basically in the same conference division um, with just the JV teams uh, this past year as we were with AAA. Coach Ewan, what are your thoughts on uh, on the breakdown this past year? What do you think what the competition was at AAA? Rumor was, and I don't know if this is totally accurate, but that um, the head coaches basically were, were able to declare where they wanted to put their team for the year. What do you think about that? Is that, are there some positive negatives to that? What do you think? I'll go from the negatives. Like there were some, some better teams in, in division two or lower that really should have been in division one competing. Right. And uh, it really, you know, you can really see, the parity in our division in our top division, but also we could have saw more stronger teams from division two that were labeled as division two teams come up and compete against good division one teams. And for whatever the worth, poor Steinbach took the brunt of being the bottom of the division, but basically going out there, trying to put on a brave face every week and, and competing for those during the regular season, knowing that they're not as a strong team, but they were willing to stick it out and, and compete and, I give credit to Jamie Peters for coming out there every every week and, and trying to at least instill some fight in his guys and and and, and competing against the top division. And then, you know, it would, be, it would be nice to see like the other teams that were so-called division two teams and below there who ran that division come up and, and, and you know, compete. It's unfortunate, but uh, when coaches kind of declare where, what their status is in terms of where they want to be with their team, it it is kind of, you know, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts the competition, I would say. And, and we would like to see some more teams in our division, make it more of a competitive league, make it more of a challenge for a lot of other teams, right? And I get playing teams twice for the most part. Yeah, It was good for us because we got to see where we were, but like you would like a little bit more competition, a little bit more teams spread out and a lot of more places to play, right? Yeah, I, I kind of have mixed feelings on this thing because obviously I, there's guys that I, we trained through Big Air that, that play in the, on those Division Two teams that had good years and they were in the championship game. A couple guys that we coached were on that winning Vincent Massey-Brandon team, Justin Sharp and his receivers and that stuff. And I feel good for those guys to win a championship. But then there's also that part that it's like, yeah, like the them and, and Sturgeon definitely were two very good teams in that in that division. It was kind of a sham when they're being, you know, and I'm going to take heat for this. I know it, but kind of a sham when they're called uh, the best small school teams in Canada when they've got 
rosters and school sizes bigger than we do at Oak Park. So um, kind of a joke in, the, in that way. On a level, I feel like they kind of sandbagged. We don't know all the details. We don't know why they made the decisions they did. And uh, I'm sure that those coaches felt like that was the best, what was best for their program. So I don't want to crap all over them. But uh, I don't like the idea that coaches were able to self-declare. One thing you can touch on on this topic is the impact of COVID, right? Yeah. For sure. Well, I mean, some some programs that are normally where they're they know where they're at, yeah. they're, with them coming back after maybe not even participating last year, right? Some teams only scrimmaged. Mm-hmm. They they'll um, they don't really have a good understanding of how they compare to other teams. Yeah, in, well, you know, that's with a the year point. off. That's a fair point, Coach Johnson. What are your thoughts on the high school breakdown this past year, how the divisions were set up, and and just the idea that head coaches were able to declare where their program was? Did you like that? What do you think positives and negatives were of that? I think that at the end of the day, it would have been nicer to see um, the divisions a little bit more balanced. The AA division was very, very heavy this year right. um, with a lot fewer teams participating in single A and in uh, uh, AAA division. I think a positive that I saw that came out of it was that inside the AAA division, obviously all of the teams in that division were very strong. They were very well coached. They had very competitive coaches who pushed their teams really hard every week to get better. And the result of that was a lot of parity. Um, We saw teams win games early in the season and then potentially lose to that same opponent later in the season. I think realistically we as coaches all collectively saw the the teams uh, get better every single week by, I would say, um, a more significant amount than maybe we've seen in years past. Um, I think the, the fact that the teams were forced to play against tougher competition and really high-level athletes, um, the coaches were forced to work even harder than maybe usual on their game planning uh, week in and week out. And I think the result of that was really positive. I think the level of coaching rose. I think the level of athlete play rose. And I think the level of team continuity rose. So I think we we had a lot of parity. It was a really competitive division in AAA all year. I think that, you know, at the end of the day, it kind of put these teams in a situation where they were more battle-tested, I guess, by the end of the season and going into the playoffs. And I think we saw some really fantastic football as a result of that. So I think that's definitely a positive that certainly came out of the situation for sure. I think at the end of the day, the coaches of each respective program they make decisions that they think are best for the program. Um, you know, we put faith in the fact that whether a team is in single A, double A, or triple A, they know their uh, they know their program best. We trust that they're going to give us a, a fair and clear inter- interpretation of where their program is at. I think maybe there were a few misses um, coming out of COVID. I think maybe some of the coaches didn't have as clear a grasp on where their teams were at that might have resulted in, in situations where in double A and in single A, there was less parity than we would have liked. You know what, that's unfortunate, but hopefully the league can work together as a group of coaches and they can come up with a better solution for 2023 and beyond because I think that there certainly is an opportunity for you know all the divisions to see more overall parity and to see a higher level of competition. I think all the AAA teams would probably agree that they as much 
fun as this year was, and there was a lot of positive that came out of it, I think they'd like to see their their teams, their programs, their athletes playing against a larger variety of schools, different mm-hmm. athletes from other parts of Winnipeg, other parts of the province. Um, I think that's really at the at the end of the day what high school football is is all about, right? Is being able to play your peers from all over the city and all over the province and test yourself against everyone. You hit on a lot of a lot of positives there that that are really thought was the case as well and just in terms of teams being battle tested players and coaches improving because of the battle because the competition was so stiff especially I'm talking at AAA like we were the perfect example at Oak Park being one and four at one point to then rebound and and go four and four into the playoffs right so uh, it definitely was tough when we were losing games and we had no we had no cupcakes we had no easy games Every game was a war. Every game we we had to play our best. And uh, it definitely helped us seeing teams at one time, maybe taking our lumps and then the next being able to prepare me and Coach Ewan getting in the lab and creating the playbook and figuring out what we need to do methodically to to have a chance against another team. But in in a league where there's more parity and there's more teams, maybe that isn't the case as much. So I can see both sides of the fence. If we had to do it all over again and in the season and we do the exact same divisional breakdown, as it was this last year, I think that's I can I can live with that. Hopefully, there is more teams and there's a little more parity. I'd like to see eight or ten teams in AAA. I think that would be a little bit better. Moving on, Coach Hirsch, uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about major football and some athletes that you may have seen this year. Maybe some guys on your team, but uh, you know, I had Bryson McNeil on last week as my guest here on the podcast. He was obviously a, a really good player this past year for the Winnipeg Rifles and the Rifles. Had a four and four season, uh, and I've gone on record saying, you know, even though that's a 500 record, that's a pretty good record in the PFC. They're kind of coming off being successful this past year. They're going to be look, looking to pick up new guys. Is there is there any bodies from from the major league that you can see uh, potentially going and playing junior, maybe locally or out of province, or maybe even some youth sport guys? 100% Manitoba Major Junior Football League, hugely competitive. You guys talk about parity every single week. This this year was was a dogfight any it could have gone either way uh, there weren't any blowouts and uh it was incredibly competitive the really cool thing about our league is there's a lot of different motivations and aspirations and there's there's guys that um on on every single roster that were the guys in high school and and were had opportunities to go to U sport or, or play junior whether it's locally or in bc or and they've, they've come back for whatever reasons you know jobs things like that uh, family, home life. But then we have a, a large group of guys that are, are coming in out of high school and, and uh, they were overlooked or underdeveloped and they're looking for opportunities to, to test themselves, improve, grow, get reps, live reps with men, right? And, and we really pride ourselves and all the other head coaches as well on developing football players. And um, we have a really good platform for, for those guys that, Maybe it's just not their time yet to uh, to go off, or they they don't have the opportunities, or um, they need a little extra seasoning before they go try to spread their wings and test themselves. And there's a there's a number of guys that are are certainly going to be able and willing and and want that opportunity as well. So um, speaking for for Eastside, I know there's. Um, probably four or five guys that have been with us now for two years and, and they're, they're ready to kind of test their mettle, if you will, and, and go to, to junior programs. They want to kind of go the, the camp route and, 
and um, see see what that's about. See if there's a good fit for them. And and uh, I always tell those guys, you know, I, I will support them 100. percent And they should go. They should test themselves if they they have the ambition to play at a higher level. Then then they should go and do that. But it needs to be the right opportunity, and and that's a whole other conversation. But it needs to be the the right opportunity, and, and nothing's worse than going out somewhere and 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 not seeing the field and not having that opportunity. So, um, I think the camp camp circuit is is where you kind of figure out is this the time to to make that leap, and and there'll be a lot of guys that I think can and will and should do that. So we'll see. It's good to hear that there's lots of players that are coming to you. I always kind of talk to young players that I'm you know, fortunate to coach about those two years after high school, they're free years. Uh, they don't count against you. Get on the field wherever you can, whether that's playing junior or playing major football and, and get better. Right. And and then take the next step, finding a spot that works for you. I, I really like that. Continuing to speak on the Bisons locally. I think I've got this right, that they've had four local signings. Uh, I know from Oak Park, we had Jerome Foliard, Jake Denica from Grant Park, defensive back safety, Jalen McDonald, receiver returner from Vincent Massey, and offensive lineman from Vincent Massey, Brandon Carter-Moore. I believe those are the four local signees. Am I missing anyone? I think that's all correct. With that, there's that new roster cap with with U-Sport teams, 95-man roster. There's players coming in every year with a new class, but you can only keep so many guys. So, you know, it's just inevitable that... The Bisons are likely, and, and all U sport teams are likely going to have to cut a number of guys from their roster that maybe are in their second, third, fourth year with the program, right, to bring in some new talent. At least that's how I kind of see it unfolding, which you would think would, you know, then have a trickle-down effect to both uh, the CJFL and then obviously uh, locally here with the major league as well, that, that there should be more players um, available playing those leagues. So what, what are your guys' thoughts on, on that? How do you think that's going to affect this 95 man roster? How do you, how do you think it's going to affect just the, the trickle down effect to the next level coach you? And I'll start with you. Yeah. With the capping of the rosters, I think, I think it only will strengthen junior programs just because you're going to have some, some talented players who still need some developing, obviously have a chance to play somewhere and compete. And, and develop better um, and provide an opportunity to just play instead of standing on the sidelines and not, not getting a chance to compete. You'll have some guys that are talented players have an opportunity to just go out and play right. and, and gain reps, gain the necessary experience so that a year down the road or two years down the road, they can come back. And uh, it just, it, it will overall just strengthen the junior programs and, uh, and provide more competition that way. And uh, and you'll see more talented players moving on the way up to the youth sports level. Can you talk a little bit about Jerome this past year and just working with him and him going to the Bisons? Jerome was a guy that uh, showed up winter camps and, and a guy that really from day one of spring camp and everything was a guy that stood out. A guy that we called him Erlacher because he would just blitz the A gap and he would just blow up all our runs. And at first we we're like, who the hell is this guy blowing up all our plays? Like, <laughs> let's just run away from this guy. But a guy that a really talented kid, a smart kid, very instinctual, and a guy that uber talented, just a, a great athlete. 
we use them on offense as our, as our flex guy. We use them at tailback. We use them at tight end. We tried to find ways to get him the ball. And a guy that really was a guy on offense that we could use as a decoy, but also a guy that can be a talented pass catcher that we used. And uh, just a, a tremendous athlete, a guy that can play defensive end, linebacker, uh, and, and a guy that is going to be a core special teams guy that can yeah. long snap for years. Uh, a guy that uh, really was a was a, a you know, joy to coach for a year, but a guy that, you know, you wish you had him for a couple more years. So true about Jerome. And I just want to speak on a little bit about him, like just his ability to play. You got to think this guy's a D lineman linebacker and he's able to just go play slot and, and be a dynamic player as a pass catcher and as a blocker and as a runner, like all the things he could do. I remember early on, I, I was kind of tentative with how much we were going to use him on offense because we just knew how impactful we needed him to be on defense early on I was kind of like okay I just want to play him at tight end and on a couple series and just kind of get his feet wet and just keep it kind of small for now because we again we knew how much we were going to need him defensively but as soon as like we started our camp it was like okay within a couple practices it was inevitable that this guy could run like a deer he's in super good shape he said that to me right away when i said i because i said that to him he's like coach you don't know about my cardio he's like i got cardio for days and uh, and he was right he was right like that kid that kid could run forever and he did a great job and, and i'm proud of him and he and you're right he's a super smart kid he picked up the playbook very easily didn't really have any mental errors um just just overall great kid would do anything you ask him to do and, and a heck of a ball player Coach Johnson, Jalen McDonald has come through your program. You know him quite well. He's going to the Bisons. What do you think about uh, what do you think about him going to the Bisons? And then also this ninety-five man roster cap and how that's going to affect football. The Bisons are getting a, a fantastic football player in Jalen. He's extremely well-rounded football player. I uh, I first had the opportunity to meet Jalen and to work with him a little bit in uh, the fall of 2020. Obviously, sadly, you know we we all didn't have a uh, tackle football season that year. But uh, in the in the best interests of kind of keeping our our football players engaged and keeping them on the field, doing something together. Um, Collectively, the WHSFL kind of came together as a league and worked with uh, pro prep football to um, um, to put a, uh, a flag football program together. And uh, Jalen was uh, was on one of our junior varsity flag football teams that year played extremely well it was very very obvious that as only a grade 10 athlete that he was uh, he was a tremendous instinctual football player capable of playing offense and defense and then over the next couple of years in grade 11 and grade 12 um, he has developed into tremendous young man. He's a very high character person. Yeah. Uh, he's a very intelligent football player. Um, he is um, at times very soft spoken, um, but when he does speak, um, it carries a lot of weight with his teammates. And on the field, dynamic, that's probably the best way I could describe him as a kick returner, as a receiver, as a defensive back. Uh, playing running back at times this year, playing uh, a role as a, uh, I guess, like a, a, a wildcat style quarterback. He um, he just showed, I think, the the varsity coaches week in and week out that there was nothing that they could ask him to do that he wasn't willing to do. He was uh, he was constantly looking for a new challenge and more than willing to uh, step up and take on as big a role as they would give him. And he just continually 
thrilled uh, all of the coaches and his teammates and anybody that came out to watch the game. I really liked the kid um, after we played them at, at home. Uh, actually, both games, I talked to him after the game. He came up to me, shook my hand. He's just a really polite young man and, and a very good player. I know the Bisons are really high on him. They're really happy with his ability to to be a returner in the future for them. So that's exciting. Coach Hirsch, what do you think about the 95-man roster cap? I know you didn't necessarily work with uh, Jake Denica, but I know you're familiar with him as, as a safety and being a defensive player. Uh, we coached his younger brother on the U16 team. What what are your thoughts on on Jake Denica going to the Bisons and, and just the 95-man roster cap? Jake's awesome young man, awesome family, good, really, really good football family. Uh, Jake and Jesse are both uh, very good, good football players, and Bison's got a good one. Very smart. He uh, he leads. He's vocal in the secondary, which is is tough to to get out of young guys, and and uh, and he does it really, really well, and comes by it uh, by it honestly. Um, so. Uh, all, all good there. I, I think he's just going to go from from strength to strength, and and uh, I know um, you know Coach Sean there. Um, he's he's really excited to have him, I'm sure, and and uh, um, he'll do a good job for them. So I'm excited for for his development and and for the Bisons. Um, as far as 95 goes, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough initially. There's going to be some growing pains, right? I think having coached at the university level and and having been through a few cycles of them recruiting it's gonna put a lot of pressure on them to to make really solid recruiting decisions Mm -hmm. and and uh make sure that 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 when they um believe in somebody that that they get get through those decisions right Back at it for third quarter action with Coach Johnston, Coach Ewan, and Coach Hirsch. So, gentlemen, obviously this weekend we got the college football playoffs happening. Uh, two games, Peach Bowl, Ohio State versus Georgia, and the Fiesta Bowl, Michigan versus TCU. Should be an entertaining weekend. Today when I was doing some research on on these games, a little bit of the media saying, you know, Kirby Smart from winning last year from Georgia being the defending champs, that he doesn't really have any pressure on him, that, that Georgia can kind of be loose for these for these games coming up. Who do you think has the most pressure of these four coaches going into this? Who who needs to win the most? Who who's got the most pressure? Coach Johnson, I'll start with you. That's an interesting question. I would say the 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 coach that has the most pressure on him, I guess, would be at Ohio State. The Ohio State fans are, I mean, they're rabid fans. There's no doubt about it. And uh, and I and I think realistically, they were very very upset at, at the fact that they lost to Michigan in massive rivalry game. So I think uh, following the that huge. That huge rivalry loss. There was fans calling for Ryan Day's job mm. and saying that uh, you know that he should potentially be fired. I think that's absurd. Personally, I, I think that Ryan Day appears to be a fantastic football coach. I think the record speaks for itself. I think um, his offensive acumen is as good as probably almost any, at least head coach in uh, college football. And 
and and probably almost any offensive coordinator for that matter. And then he obviously also plays a huge role in recruiting at an extremely high level. So I think, you know, people calling for his job, those people are, they're just looking for clickbait or they're rabid fans that maybe don't have as good an understanding of the game as some others do. But at the end of the day, I would say that he's sadly probably the one that is potentially on the hot seat or uh, has the most to, to prove. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. He has the most to prove by, by getting a, uh, you know, a college football playoff win under his belt. Yeah. I guess that's how you look at it, right? Obviously Kirby smart. If, if they are to repeat here, he's building sort of this similar to Alabama, you know, I know it'd be pretty, a little premature for that, but he's, he's trying to build a dynasty, right? And he's doing a heck of a job with his recruiting pressure there for him to continue doing what he's been doing. You look at Jim Harbaugh in Michigan was uh, only a couple years ago, the COVID season where, where people were calling for his job or saying he's yep. going to go back to the NFL. Now he's mm-hmm. been super successful there. But if he doesn't win, it'll be that same old story. He can't he can't get over the big one, right? Or he can't win the big one. Coach Ewan, what are your thoughts on, on that? And who do you think has the most pressure? I got to agree with Coach Johnson here. Uh, definitely Ohio State. Ryan Day has, has a lot of pressure on him. Again, a great offensive mind, a great recruiter. A year ago, it, it was kind of the defense's pro- defense was the problem. So he goes and hires Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State to fix the defense and that's been so-so in terms of the defense but then the offense is kind of has been stagnant at times and then accumulated in the in the big game against Michigan and in getting blown out was was tough and and Ryan Day has always had great teams over the last couple of years that he's had there he's had great quarterback play great receiver play first rounders all across the board and he still hasn't gotten over the hump where Urban Meyer took the team years ago to win. So he's 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 basically left with with tremendous pieces along the board, and he just can't find ways to get over the hump. And I, I think Ryan Day has probably the most amount of pressure of the four coaches in, in going into this playoff. Coach Hirsch, what what do you have to add to that? Well, I, I think they're right. I mean, anytime Ohio State loses to Michigan, it's it's. Uh, the sky's falling, right? And and uh, that uh, that program and and that fan base has has really high expectations. And I think when you think about that question, it when you look at at the head coaches and and what have you, right? The only one that that's done it is Kirby Smart. Right. And so he's he's probably got the the least to prove. Hit that summit last year, and and if, if you do lose with that team. They have expectations now too, right? right? And so what does that say and what does that mean? I would say, you know, TCU is an interesting one. They're playing with house money, right? Yeah. Like, they're happy to be there. They're 200 to 1 odds. and, and uh, um, But I think for the first time in, in a long time, I think they got the top four right and, and going to be a fun bowl season. And, and it already has been with a bunch of the matchups and what have you, but that whole perspective and dynamic and what have you, when you talk about expectations, I mean, you don't coach at those programs without having high expectations and from, from the fan base. Otherwise you're not there very long. To speak on the quarterbacks for each of these teams, right? We got Stetson Bennett from Georgia. We got CJ Stroud from Ohio state. We got Max Duggan at TCU and who am I missing? We got uh, JJ McCarthy. 
yeah. at, at uh, Michigan, right? So we, we got four different quarterbacks. Bennett is is different than the other three a little bit in a way. Um, who do you guys think is the most intriguing quarterback in, in these games coming up? Coach Yuno, I'll start with you. The obvious is C.J. Stroud, but I, I really have grown attachment to Matt, Max Duggan. Yeah. A guy that wears his heart on his sleeve, will do anything to kind of win the game big thing with him he wasn't the starter heading into the season and uh injury happens to their starter he steps in there and he's basically running throwing doing whatever it takes to win and you know even that big 12 championship game he's he's taking a beating but still getting up and making the plays and obviously they didn't win the game but i i think he 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 put he put himself in the heisman mix yeah i think he's probably the intriguing quarterback of the group here because Obviously, he doesn't have the arm talent of a C.J. Stroud, doesn't have the acumen of Stenson Bennett, you no. Know, and, and and really, you look at him, he, he's just he's just a guy, but he plays like he, he everything means the last play to him. Mm-hmm. Like he he does anything possible to win. Super exciting in the uh, Big Twelve Championship game. There, he he was unbelievable. Coach Johnson, what what are your thoughts on the QB play? Who which QB intrigues you the most? I think it's McCarthy out of Michigan for me I, I look at a guy there for the past really the the past two years in particular right like this offense has lived and died by a big powerful bully ball offensive line yeah. and uh, multiple extremely talented running backs but uh, obviously they they lost one of those very talented young running backs to injury which was really sad to see i mean a young guy that was you know probably on a a potential heisman run the young guy that was behind him stepped up and and played very well but i think at that point i also saw a bit of a a change in or a bit of a shift in how they were doing things offensively Mm -hmm. and i think it made them a little bit more balanced um they started to do a, a better job of pushing the ball down the field and getting the ball to some of their receivers and definitely to their tight ends and utilizing the pass catching ability of their, uh, I guess their now starting tailback because he's quite a good receiver. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, what I saw was, you know, a situation where as well as they were running the ball, McCarthy like stepped up and has played very big in in big games and which I think is fantastic to see and I think in some ways made Michigan even more dangerous whether they wanted to be that version of themselves or not that's what they became and I think it makes them very very deadly to to play against I think they play a brand of football that is really really tough to beat and I think they're going to be a very tough out in the playoffs that's for sure I like what you're saying there. Michigan is going to be a tough team. Uh, you're right. They can pound the ball. But uh, with McCarthy there, they've kind of expanded the offense. Like you said, they kind of had to open it up a little bit. And uh, we're seeing a little bit more out of him. And, and it's been good for their offense, right? Coach Hirsch, what are your thoughts on it, on, on which quarterback you think uh, is the, the most intriguing to you? Both of those were great answers. I think uh, you guys hit the nail on the head as far as those storylines for, for, for those players and those teams. And But I'm going to go a different direction because, you know, I like disagreeing with all you guys. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to say Stroud. I think Ohio State has the most to prove. I think they, they're, they're the team that people are debating, should they be there, right? right? And uh, especially after that big loss to Michigan and Stroud, I don't think he's declared yet, but I think everybody reasonably assumes that he's he's done after this. 
and it's been him and Bryce Young neck and neck for the potential number one overall for for about 18 months now everybody's been talking about it and, and without Alabama in in the four you know it's it's his opportunity to to make a statement what better way than to to knock off Georgia and maybe avenge Michigan right if they if they meet them in the final that to me would tell me more about about him, about him and and who he can be at the next level when we, we start talking about NFL it's going to be a measuring stick for him obviously right so a cool opportunity for him right because if he goes and plays well and you know balls out and they get a win that that's going to be good like you said for his NFL draft all that stuff kind of moving forward Okay, so let's get into the prediction time here, guys. Steph, I'll, I'll continue with you. Um, we got the Peach Bowl, Ohio State and Georgia. Who, who do you like in the game and why? I have to go with Georgia. And uh, the reason being is is their their line play. They're just so deep. They're so well-versed. Bennett gets a clean pocket, and they have a great run game, and, and they, they play bully ball. And then defensively, they're just so deep on that that defensive line. They just – they, they – lost what th- i think three to the nfl last year and they just reload and yeah. they're they're just incredibly deep and so a lot of a lot of things i think really have to to go wrong for ohio ohio state to, to to win that game they're a very talented team in their own right but i think line play is what separates them and and uh it'll be their Georgia is number one for a reason, and they're going to be a tough test for any any team that lines up against them. That Georgia defense versus Ohio State offense is going to be really intriguing. Uh, Coach Johnson, what are your thoughts on the Peach Bowl? Who do you like and why? I think as much as I would like to see uh, a Michigan-Ohio State championship game, I think the uh, college football world would lose its mind if we actually got to that point. I think realistically, Georgia has the advantage in the game. Uh, Coach Hirsch made some excellent points. The Georgia defensive line is unbelievable. They probably have a top five, if not a top three pick at defensive tackle on that line uh, in the NFL draft and probably a, a top 25 pick at defensive end. So it's, uh, it's an incredible incredible unit and I think any team trying to t- trying to throw the ball and evade that pass rush and trying to run the ball against those guys is they're going to be hard pressed to have success and and I also think that to be honest with you I mean as, as much as I like the Georgia running game I mean it's great they got a good old line and you know some good backs but I actually think the key to their offensive success is in their tight ends the Georgia tight ends are unbelievable I think Stetson Bennett like thrives getting the ball to his tight ends and I, I just think that, you know, that's it. Like, that's where the magic comes from uh, in their offense. And uh, I think there's just not a lot of teams that can defensively line up and uh, and match up against, realistically, three really good tight ends. Two are phenomenal pass catchers, and, and one is a, probably an underrated pass catcher and a phenomenal blocker. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, they're, they're multiple at that tight end game, and I just think they're realistically going to lean on uh, Ohio State and uh, and they're probably going to take it down the stretch. I think if the game's under 30, that guaranteed that that's a Georgia win. And the only way Ohio State's winning is if it's a, a game over 30, right? Like, I think I think Ohio State to win is going to have to score a lot of points. I'm taking Georgia in this. And again, Coach Johnson stole my kind of thunder there with Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers. But I again, you go back to that Georgia defense. They lose Lewis Seen. They lose uh, Jordan Davis. They lose, you know, Trayvon Walker. They lose uh quay walker um they lose defensive first round picks and they just reload you know jalen carter 
Nolan Smith, but he's not going to be playing. Keely Ringo at at the quarterback spot is a good matchup against Marvin Harrison Jr. But I also look back to when Georgia played the high-powered Tennessee Volunteers offense with Jalen Hyatt, Hendon Hooker, Cedric Tillman, and they shut down their offense. You know, they, Tennessee wanted to be explosive, but basically Georgia said, hey, we're going to let you nickel and dime. We know that you want to be aggressive. And they took that away. So I, I really like the Georgia defense lining up against the Ohio State offense. And again, yeah, the tight ends for Georgia will make a difference. I, I don't think they're, you know, Tommy Eichenberg can cover Brock Bowers. And I don't think the secondary in for Ohio State can cover those guys. Okay, so it's unanimous. You guys all think Georgia is going to take the Peach Bowl. Uh, moving on, Coach Uno, stay with you. Fiesta Bowl, we got Michigan and TCU. Uh, who do you like in that game and why? My heart says I want TCU, but it's Michigan. Uh, I think Michigan's going to play bully ball. Donovan Edwards is going to has picked up the slack from Blake Corum, and, and JJ McCarthy's been able to complete deep passes and explosive plays for that offense. Defensively, Michigan they lose uh, Aiden Hutchinson and Quiddy Pay. They get you know another defensive end in their game plan. Like they they have another first round defensive end talent. Uh, they keep reloading. I think the luck's going to run out with TCU with their, you know, one-score games. I just think they're just going to get out physical at the point of attack. Coach Hirsch, what are your thoughts on the Fiesta Bowl? Who do you like and why? I agree, Michigan. They are a very, very complete team. And um, I think the emergence of J.J. McCarthy giving them a, a, a dynamic that they didn't have in previous years has really set themselves up well, and, and they're peaking at the right time. Obviously, uh, a big win against Ohio State in in the rivalry game. When you look at the respective teams, you could argue that Michigan might be one of the tightest, most complete units in 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 all phases. All they won't blow you out. They're they're gonna take the fight to you, and and um, they all they all do it together. It's it's very much a, a unified team uh, with not a whole lot of weaknesses, and so. I think they're just going to be, they're going to overpower TCU. And uh, I love cheering. I like, like Coach Ewan said, you know, my, my heart's with, with TCU. I like cheering for the underdog, but mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, I, I, I don't see it. How about you, Coach Johnson? What do you have to add to that? Coach Hirsch made some, uh, made some excellent points there. Yeah, I, I think realistically, Michigan is the most complete team. I think that, uh, it's going to be Michigan that that wins this football game. I think the Michigan pass rush is going to be just too much for the TCU offensive line to handle. I think uh, Duggan's going to be running for his life early in the game. And uh, I I think realistically, um, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to overcome that. I think Michigan's uh, run game is likely going to grind out the time of possession and uh, and keep that TCU offense off the field. I'm not going to lie. I mean, uh, I think that TCU has some dynamic we- weapons, and you know we're we're talking a lot about the quarterbacks, but mm-hmm. uh, honestly, I mean, the TCU running backs are uh, are very explosive. So, I mean, the one thing that I have said to more than one person over the last couple of weeks, what uh, leading up to these games, is that if TCU can can get some big explosive plays in particular from their running backs early in the game um i think that could 
potentially swing the momentum in their favor. I don't think it's very likely that that's going to happen because I think that Michigan defense is just too good. And I think that Michigan uh, offensive line, their running backs, um, and, uh, and, and definitely their quarterback play, it's just all too strong uh, for TCU to handle. It's unanimous then. You guys think Michigan is going to come away with the Fiesta Bowl. We had Georgia winning the Peach Bowl. So national title game. Coach Johnson staying with you. Who do you like, Georgia versus Michigan in the Natty? My heart is notoriously in the South. But that being said, I think Michigan. I do. I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be um, an absolute slobber knocker, as they say. Uh, very, very physical football game. Uh, defensive football game. Um but I, I think that that Michigan defense is really talented and they're very opportunistic. They generate turnovers and they find ways to cause major issues for offenses that they played all year. And uh, I think that um, that Michigan offensive line and the running game and just the way they play offense in general, it is tailor-made to compete against the, the big bullies in, you know, in the South. I think that they can physically match up with a team like Georgia. So I think this is going to be, I mean, it's a little bit cliche to say, but this is going to be an, an SEC style football game in the championship. You know, it's going to be two big physical football teams going out against each other. And I think we're going to, we're going to see a lot of future NFL players, you yeah. know, playing in the national championship game, going up against each other before they potentially play against each other in the future on Sunday. I like your take on things, Coach Hirsch. Are you also feeling like Michigan will win the Natty? What Coach Johnson says, I, I um, alluded to to it earlier. They're, I think, the more complete team, and I think they're hungry. I think the matchup is it's it's certainly going to be a really tight game, in my opinion. Uh, one score either way. It's hard enough to win a national championship than let alone go back to back and a lot of times teams struggle with motivations and things like that and and I just think Michigan is peaking at the right time have a lot more to prove still and and I think they're going to come out and they're going to really take the fight to, to Georgia and not back down and and we'll see what Georgia's made out of when it comes to facing a team that's very much built in the, in the same image I'm, I'm excited for the matchup but uh, I think Michigan edges it how about you coach Ewan what are your thoughts on the natty I will take Georgia in this matchup just because they took Michigan. But I think it'll come down to the quarterback play. J.J. McCarthy has been able to not make the big mistake when it counts. And Stenson Bennett's been the game manager who doesn't make mistakes but puts the ball in the right spot for his guys. You go back to last year's matchup when Georgia played Michigan, and really it came down to defense and stopping the run. And I think Georgia prides herself on defense and stopping the run. If they can stop the run, and make J.J. McCarthy beat them, so be it. But I really think from an offensive perspective, Georgia is on par, but has more weapons in terms of the pass catchers, in terms of you can put Brock Bowers out there, Darnell Washington, um, and their running backs are all capable players. So I I really like Georgia up front. I like them on defense, and I I think they're going to win this game.
Back at it for fourth quarter action with Coach Geese, Coach Eric Ewan, Coach Stefan Hirsch, and Coach Chris Johnston. Pretty cool situation in the uh, Ottawa area. The Ottawa Red Blacks have hired Bobby Dice as their new head coach. Uh, he obviously took over this year from Coach La Police on an interim basis, but then was given the job. Uh, pretty cool. Uh, most, I think all of us have, have sort of a loose relationship with Coach. He was the receiver coach of the Bisons when I played there in 2000. I was also able to coach his young his, his son, Tristan, um, on the provincial team at one point way back when. And uh, so, you know, sort of known the, the Dice family for a while. So pretty cool for Coach Dice to get the head coaching job. Coach Johnson, what are your thoughts on it? I think it's fantastic. I think he's a guy that has been around the league for a long time. He's earned his stripes in the sense that he's done everything from being a position coach to being coordinator. I think it, it, you know, it's time for the man to have an opportunity. He's been part of a lot of fantastic football teams that have had a lot of success and have won a lot of football games. And I think he's, he's proved that he's a, he's a leader of men and he's well-liked by the players. Um, and I think from what I hear, he's a, he's just a very well-liked person in the CFL in general. I don't think there's a lot of people out there that would have anything bad to say about Coach Dice. So um, I think it's fantastic that he got the opportunity. Obviously, I love the, the fact that he has fantastic family connections to the University of Manitoba and right. to the province of Manitoba. And he's had uh, two children who have, have come through the province as, as football players. His his son was a, a fantastic football player in the province. And his daughter is currently a fantastic football player in the province playing senior women's football right. uh, for the uh, the fearless football team. Him having the opportunity, it, it might even be long overdue in a sense. Definitely pretty cool. Coach Hirsch, what are your thoughts on Coach Dice getting the head coaching job? I think it's amazing. I think as a coach in this province that that puts in the the, the hours that that we all collectively put in to, to make a difference in, in young men's lives and and uh, be successful on and off the football field. He's he's somebody that that has gone about it and done it the right way. And what really strikes me is the relationships that he has with with uh, with people, um, not just his players, but just everybody. Right? I've had occasion where I bumped into him in the last number of years and he always stops to ask, you know, Hey, how are you? What are you up to? What are you doing? Right. And, and, uh, he makes that connection with everybody and cannot be any happier for, for somebody like that, who, uh, goes out of his way to ask about you and, and, um, make a connection. So nothing but love and respect for that man. And, and uh, I hope for nothing but success. He's a very genuine guy. And, and yeah, it's pretty cool to know him and that sort of thing. Coach Ewan, do you have anything to add about Coach Dice becoming a head coach? Well-deserved. Uh, a guy that when the staff sees a part of when they get fired, he's always, you know, he's never out of a job. Right. You know, he's always, you know, found with another staff or something like that. He's always, you can see how much respect a lot of coaches in this league had for him to put him as their special teams coordinator, his, the CFL draft coordinator and all that stuff. As a young aspiring coach, you, you, when our family owned the restaurant, he would order in and he would come in and we'd always have a nice, a nice little conversation. You know, you'd always say, how's the family going? You'd always stop by. So I uh, got to know him that way, just the young aspiring coach to kind of just pick his brain a little bit here and there when he was getting ready to pay for his food. So, but again, like a guy that's well-deserved, a guy that's cut his teeth from the start, worked his way up. And that's yeah. for any aspiring coach here to kind of see, you know, we can make it as, as professional coaches. Absolutely. Yeah. It is encouraging for us guys that take it very seriously that, yeah, they're, if, if the stars align and, and you do things right, 
uh, you do things the right way, treat people the right way, and, and be uh, be a good person, then may, maybe something could happen for you down the line if that's you know something that you want for yourself. I know I definitely have aspirations of, of one day maybe being able to coach professional would be pretty, pretty cool. I want to switch gears here, but it's been a really, really busy week in the NFL. What are your guys' thoughts on Nathaniel Hackett, head coach or previous head coach of the Denver Broncos, getting the axe this week? The Denver Broncos have been brutal. Russell Wilson has been brutal. I didn't see that coming. I honestly thought when they got him that this was a good thing for their team. Boy, was I wrong. What do you guys think? Does Russ deserve a lot of the blame here in terms of his poor play, just how things have been going on Hackett getting the getting the axe? Or maybe Hackett shouldn't have been there in the first place. What are your guys' thoughts? Coach you, and I'll start with you. I think from Nathaniel Hackett's, he was a hot coaching candidate heading into this cycle. And I think a lot of teams interviewed him, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of teams had him at the top of the list. Again, like he's had some poor clock management. He had to hire a clock management coach. But again, it ultimately comes down to your quarterback play, right? And your quarterback play kind of defines who you are as a head coach, essentially, that gets you the ultimate wins. And Russ hasn't been able to do that. And again, Russ is partly to blame, but he, he shoulders a, a heavy part of it. And the amount of draft capital they gave up to acquire him, mm-hmm. the contract that they gave to him, they're kind of tied for a little bit here. They could cut bait, but they'd have to eat a ton of cap space for that. And I definitely think Russell is a big part of a big part of it, but also Nathaniel Hackett has, has had a part in his firing as well. What, what do you think, Coach Hirsch, on the situation? It's a tough one. Yeah, I think it's 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 50-50 here, right? Like, I think Hackett, ha- having never been a head coach, right, you're, you're, you're throwing darts and, and hoping for the best that somebody can step up to, to everything that's required to be a head coach. Not everybody can do it, right? It's it's not coordinating. It's, it's no. very, very different. And it's something that I don't think Hackett, going into that situation, anticipated as poor of the quarterback play that he got from Russell Wilson. So I, I think because of that, he hasn't been afforded the time to that other coaches might get to, to figure some things out as a first time head coach. So with that said, it's the NFL. You're, you're paid a lot of money. You're only going to go so far as the, the QB play in, in that league. And, and uh, I feel he like he, uh, didn't have a whole lot of options considering what they gave up to get Wilson. So there's a lot of thought that when he got hired, that Aaron Rodgers was going to sign in Denver, who was who he worked with in Green Bay, obviously. So the offense that he would be running would obviously be very similar, and that would be a good connection. And then not getting Aaron Rodgers and settling for Russell Wilson, maybe that had something to do with it. Also, they got new ownership right in Denver, so that kind of has an effect. They they don't want to be shitty, so he gets the X quick. I I also think the the whole thing about guys that, and and I I kind of would put myself in this category for for the most part in in the sense that there's certain guys that are suited to be coordinators, and certain guys that are suited to be head coaches. It's a different skill set, like you said, Steph. It's a different. You kind of have to have different personality. And you're responsible for different things. I understand the natural progression is for a successful coordinator to become a head coach, but not everybody's cut out to do that. Obviously, you go to the you get a job in the NFL and you get a short window to prove yourself. And those those clock management issues were pretty brutal early on. He's got to be better than that. And and then yeah, they just been they've been awful. Coach Johnston, do you have anything to add to this situation? I mean, I think in, in my eyes, I, I look at the situation as a, a growing trend in the NFL. They're chasing you know the hot idea, 
right? And uh, the NFL has become very guilty in the past several years of chasing the the hot the hot hire in the off season, and the big emphasis has been on offensive coordinators for a number of years now. Everybody wants to see a high flying offense. Everybody wants to see lots of points being scored and things of that nature. <clears throat> I think that. Um, I think philosophically, the NFL has become very corporate. I think the teams individually have become very corporate. And I think they're they're going with what is going to sell tickets, what is going to look good in the headlines versus who is really, truly the right person for this job, who is the best candidate as a head coach, right? I, I think that is what they should be focusing on. And I think the, the NFL is a league in their... The, the mentality that they have. And maybe I'm not using the right term by calling it corporate mentality, but at the end of the day, I think they're, they're regardless, not focusing on the right things. I think some of the actual core components of what makes teams great as, as football programs is going by the wayside in favor of what is most popular, what the, what the media wants, what the fans appear to want via social media and things of that nature. And uh, I think the, these, these teams should be focusing on who is the best coach for for their program. And I think the coaches themselves um, should have the wherewithal to, to run the right offensive systems and surround their players with the right personnel based on what they have, right? Uh, Russell Wilson isn't Aaron Rodgers. They're not the same type of quarterback, right? right? Is this head coach guilty of not putting the pieces in the right places to support that quarterback. I'm sure Russell Wilson as a professional would be the first one to stop and take the blame probably publicly, because I think he's probably the type of guy that would, you know, do the right thing, so to speak. But at the end of the day, I think he proved for a long time in Seattle that he's a pretty phenomenal football player and capable of taking teams to championship contention. Um, and, uh, I think maybe people in Denver did him a bit of a disservice, you know, maybe not running the right offensive system or surrounding him with the right personnel or just simply putting the personnel in the right situation to be successful. Well, that's an interesting take on things. He's taken a lot of heat for being unliked in the locker room and being, uh, kind of his own, his own man. And some things about his personality have came to light in the last year and a bit from him leaving Seattle. But uh, at the same point, I think he's a he's a good quarterback and he, he's really struggled this year. But uh, uh, I don't think that that will necessarily continue forever. Uh, I hope not. I, I really like him as a player. Okay, moving on from there, guys. Sean Payton, former New Orleans Saints head coach, has been uh, rumored to be on a comeback, looking for the right team, whatever's going to happen here. Where do you guys think the best landing spot for Coach Payton would be Coach Hirsch, we'll start with you. Obviously, we were just talking about Denver, and uh, there's a connection with Dallas and what have you, but uh, I'm going outside of the box. I think Arizona. I think it's it's um, a landing spot that uh, currently isn't available, but I, I don't think Kingsbury survives. I think they've won four games this year, and uh, they have high expectations. They have a first overall pick uh, at QB. I think... It's the desert, warm weather. I think it's going to agree with him. I think he's got a lot of pieces there. They're they're mostly a young team, and he'll be able to go go there and and uh, um, really set a set a new standard. Which uh, he's a program builder. He's 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 cut his chops resurrecting teams, and and uh, I think that one is going to would be a great fit for him. 
that's the team I didn't even think about. Obviously, I, I think you're right in terms of Kingsbury. He's going to probably get the axe as well. So that, that job will likely be open. So that's an interesting take. I, I agree with you about the warm weather being an older guy. He's probably looking for a good location. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, Coach Ewan, what are your thoughts on Coach Payton returning? Where do you think he's going to land? Arizona was on the top of my mind on that one. Another one would I would say, um, I, although they did clinch a playoff spot, would be the Los Angeles Chargers. Would be a good spot for Sean Payton and Justin Herbert. Obviously, Brandon Staley has his quirks about how he is a head coach, but I, I feel like if 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 they somehow you know get one and done, and and that job becomes available, I think that is a very appealing job for Sean Payton. Sounds like Sean Payton wants to bring Vic Fangio on as his defensive coordinator. Uh, that team is built in a 3-4 defense. It kind of makes sense. And, again, you get to work with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, uh, Austin Eckler on offense. And, again, Sean Payton has a knack for finding running backs, undrafted guys, too. So I think he, I think that would be a perfect place for him to fit with that offense, with that offensive line as well. It would be a good fit. Yeah, it would. I like that. Coach Johnson, what do you think? I think it's the Dallas Cowboys. I think that uh, that's where he ends up. I think that uh, Dak Prescott is the style of quarterback, like the the type of quarterback that would suit uh, the way that he wants to run an offense. I think that's an offense that is loaded at receiver. I think that uh, they have a good offensive line, although it could definitely get better. And I think they have some some really uh, talented young pieces on on defense. They have some some guys, obviously Micah Parsons and in particular, right, that are you know exciting, dynamic players. And uh, I think that um, he's probably wanna gonna want to go somewhere where they have a defense that can be multiple and and can be a three four defense, just based on what Coach Ewan was saying with his potential uh, pick as a defensive coordinator and. Uh, I think he's going to want to go somewhere where he has a quarterback that that fits what he wants to do. And and I feel like Dak Prescott is maybe one of, if not the best quarterbacks that kind of fits that mold. That would be my pick, but uh, um, I certainly uh, don't disagree with, uh, with any of the suggestions that either coach Ewan or coach Hirsch have made because uh, working with Justin Herbert, I think would be a dream for just about any offensive minded coach and Mm -hmm. working with a incredible athlete like Kyler Murray. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? Right. So um, I think we're, we're definitely uh, all probably looking at uh, really good potential spots for him to land. I think that uh, Dallas has always been a team that's been on my mind. He's got that previous connection, right, with, with coaching for Coach Parcells back in the day. I've always felt like uh, if there was a job that he would want, that it would be the Cowboys, and he wouldn't. Uh, he's the kind of right personality for that job. So uh, I like that connection. Obviously, Mike McCarthy's done a pretty good job this year. Dallas, is, they're going to be in the playoffs, and it, it's just a matter of did, if they go one and done, do they look to, to give McCarthy the hook? I do think that that would happen and the Dallas job would come available. But uh, we'll see We'll see what happens. Obviously, Denver now has an opening. The Colts are going to have an opening. Um, there's going to be openings elsewhere. So we'll, we'll see how it unfolds. We're getting towards the end here, guys. I just, uh, you know, obviously there's been a, a little bit more quarterback action this week. 
Derek Carr got benched for, for Jared Stidham. He's apparently uh, away from the team. He's asked to kind of go away from the team to not be a distraction. That's kind of interesting. Obviously, they're going to look to deal him. Tua Tagovailoa, if I could say his name right, on his second concussion. This isn't looking good for, for the Dolphins. It's not looking good for Tua. I'm worried about his future. But... Guys, just to, just to kind of end off today, with all the quarterback play this season, Patrick Mahomes has done a heck of a job, obviously, leading in, in statistical categories. Uh, Josh Allen's been great. Um, Jalen Hurts has been really good in the NFC for the Eagles. Um, but what quarterback intrigues you, as his, his play has intrigued you the most this season so far? Coach, you and I'll start with you. Uh, well, it's going to be a, a hometown guy for me. It's Kirk O'Chain's Kirk Cousins. Uh, he's really excelled with Kirk, Kevin O'Connell as his offensive, as uh, his head coach and offensive mind. Uh, again, eight fourth quarter comebacks, uh, 11, you know, 12 and three record playing really lights out right now. You know, statistically not his greatest year, but playing lights out in the fourth quarter when it means something mm-hmm. and putting up wins. It's Kirk Cousins for me. Coach Johnson, who, who's been the most intriguing QB for you this season? Josh Allen. I absolutely love watching him play football. He is such an incredible athlete. He has the ability to throw the ball basically from the pocket, on balance, off balance, on the move. His running ability is incredible for a guy of his physical stature. I mean, to be that big and strong and be able to move the way he does, it's it's absolutely phenomenal for me, my favorite quarterback to watch in the NFL right now. And uh, um, maybe one of my favorite football players to watch period in the NFL right now. He's just so dynamic and um, plays with incredible passion. I just, I love it. He's just always looking to make a play and to try to find an opportunity to, to put his receivers in a situation to succeed. I love it. He's been a baller this year in every way. Uh, the only thing I worry about him is his longevity with the way that he plays, sacrificing his body. I know he's a big dude, and, and it, he he's doing well right now. But it just it kind of reminds me almost of Cam Newton in a way, short shelf life when you play football that way in the NFL. So that's my only concern with him. Coach Hirsch, how, how about you? Who's the most intriguing quarterback for you? The one that came out of nowhere that I just, I honestly thought was done, uh, Gino. Gino yeah. Smith. Yeah, Gino. I did not anticipate him coming in and having the season he did. Ten-year vet, making his first Pro Bowl, really shining, playing smart football, uh, making good decisions. You know, all the things that when you remember him early on and as a, as a Jet and his a few other stops along the way that he's had, you did not see clean quarterback play from him, um, which kind of made him an afterthought and so he for him to perform the way he's performed uh, and have a bit of a reclamation if you will and and uh, rejuvenation in Seattle I, I think that's one that really caught me off guard so really excited to see that the maturation from who he was to who he's become and and good on him for for putting it together and owning that that spot because it, it wasn't his right out of camp either he had to, he had to win that. And he did a good job to solidify the spot. I think that I think moving forward, I don't know if they're going to look to draft anybody or not, but he's done a heck of a job. I agree with you on a lot of that, but I also remember him from when he was in college. And, and the thing with him was what he was a pure passer. He wasn't a run around 
you know, dual threat style guy. Now, when he went to the NFL, he played for some bad teams and the Jets and that sort of thing. So I think that had something to do with it, obviously being young and, and kind of putting it all together is tough, right? But uh, but yeah, I'm not surprised that he's able to play quarterback the way it should be done because he does come from that background of, of a drop back passer more so than not. When he was at West Virginia, they threw the heck out of the ball. I, but I, I really like that he's, you know, came on. It's a cool story. It's cool that he, uh, everybody thought Seattle would be would be garbage this year without uh, Russell Wilson and, you know, quite the opposite. So, so pretty cool. All three of you guys got good, good takes on the QB play in the NFL. It's been an exciting season. I want to thank you guys for being on tonight. It's been awesome to talk ball with you. I hope you guys had a good time tonight talking ball. Absolutely. Always have a good time. No doubt. Always. All the best to each of you. And, and thanks again for being on tonight. Take care.